welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this January 2013 episode of the podcast, we're going to focus on online genealogy. And I've got some great tips, tools, products, and websites for you to help you out as you hit the web. Now, normally our first stop would be the Genealogy Insider blog and managing editor Diane Haddad. However, Diane is still busy with her brand new descendant, her baby daughter, so she won't be joining us this month. So we're going to jump right into our top tips segment with contributing editor Rick Kroom. He's going to be giving us some tips from finding family history online at Google Books from his article called Hitting the Books, which appears in the January 2013 issue of the magazine. Then, in our 101 Best Websites segment, I'll be chatting with Chris Whitten, the founder of the free website, wikitree.com. Then, in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Family Tree Magazine online editor Tyler Moss will be back to give us some ancestry search tips from the recorded webinar called Your Unofficial Guide to Ancestry.com. And finally, we'll check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan, publisher of Family Train Magazine, who will have some excellent resources to catapult your online research. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is Top Tips with Rick Kroom. Has someone already written a local or family history book relevant to your genealogy? Well, the good news is that you can use Google Books to find out. And here to tell us about how to do that is Family Train Magazine contributing editor Rick Kroom. He's the author of the article, Hitting the Books, and it appears in the January 2013 issue of the magazine. Welcome back to the show, Rick. Hi, Lisa. Well, Rick, I love Google Books, um, but it can be a little bit daunting for somebody who has never used it before um, for family history. Now, you've laid out a seven-step process in this article that is perfect for beginners. So where do you want them to start when they look to Google Books for family history? Well, um, I start with step number one, search for a person, uh, especially if you're searching for someone with an uncommon name. You might get lucky just searching on the person's name. As I mentioned in the article, I have a couple of tips for focusing your search on family history books and local history books by searching on subject terms that contain the words genealogy, family, or history. That way you can focus on books that are most likely to provide the kind of information genealogists are interested in. Wonderful. So we're going to add that uh, genealogy term to a name to kind of help Google understand what we're trying to do. And it's neat because, of course, the Google search engine is behind Google Books, so we could probably do like tilde genealogy, and that would mean any word like family history, genealogy, family tree would all kind of appear. We could do that with locations as well? Yes, I haven't experimented a lot using the tilde to search on synonyms, um, but that's a good idea. As I mentioned in the article, there are other ways to narrow your search if you end up with uh, thousands of matches. Let's say you're searching on a common name and you need to focus on a particular time period. Uh, You can limit matches uh, to a certain year by searching on a range of years. Let's say in in an example I give in the article, I was searching for somebody who lived 
born, let's say, about 1700 and died in 1767. So I searched on his name along with that range of years to limit the search to matches that contained any year within that time frame. And that really narrowed the search from several thousand to one relevant match. So how do you enter a year range so that that will narrow it down in the search? What, what do we tell Google? You can do that by entering, let's say, the beginning year 1700, followed by two dots, and then the last year in the time frame, so in my case, 1767. And by doing that, I came across a reference to this guy in a book called Virginia's Colonial Soldiers, and it tells how this Henry Crome um, was fined for being absent at two musters in 1746 in Virginia. Wow, so it really pulled out the year right out of the book, and it knew that was the one to bring to your results list. Exactly. By focusing my search on a period of years, I was able to find a relevant match. There were a lot of other references to the name, but only this one in that time period that I was searching for. Oh, terrific. So we've got search for person at a year range. And I know in the article you talk about step number three is to search on alternate name spellings, could add other keywords. Tell us a little bit about number five, which is search within a book or a journal. Instead of starting out with a name, see if you can identify a particular book or maybe a genealogy or local history journal that looks like a good candidate for having coverage of somebody in your family history. So, for instance, I did some research and found that the Gentleman's Magazine published in England has a lot of birth, marriage, and death notices and other news. It was published between 1731 and 1864. So I was searching for a relative named William Pennington. He was a loyalist in the Revolutionary War and then went back to England. And by searching for his name and limiting my search to that particular title, The Gentleman's Magazine, this journal, I was able to find a couple of references to him. One was his death notice in 1829. And then, keeping in mind that sometimes they abbreviate names, I also tried searching on his name with William abbreviated to WM. Uh, and that search turned up a reference to his marriage in 1792 in this journal called The Gentleman's Magazine. So if I had searched on just his name, William Pennington is a fairly common name. I would come up with thousands of references. But by limiting it to this particular journal that has a lot of valuable genealogical information for England, I was able to find a couple of really useful references. Oh, great tip. Really digging into a book or a journal that is rich or maybe very large, really spending some time and digging into it with those alternate spellings. Great idea. Right. So that's a journal that I found on Google Books um, from England. But um, there are a lot of other genealogy journals in Google Books that you can access for free, such as the New England Historical and Genealogical Register, back to the first issue in 1847. 
the New York Genealogical and Biographical Record, and you can access all of the early issues of these journals for free on Google Books. And the really neat feature is that you can search for a name anywhere, let's say an unusual name, or um, as I point in the article, use the different techniques to focus on a specific person. If it's a common name, you might uh, do things like you know, searching on a particular time period or add uh, another search term that uh, is unique to the person you're searching on. Right. You, you make such a good point. I think a lot of people don't really realize how many books, particularly the old books, are digitized. I mean, we're talking fully digitized, all of the pages. And of course, the great news is, is that you can save the book or a clipping from the book once you find something. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. Um, Google Books covers books published a long time ago as well as recently published books. And in many cases, if the book is out of copyright, that is, in America, that usually means it was published before 1923, um, you can often access the whole book for free and even save it to your computer. If, it, if the book is still under copyright, you can often still search for a name in the book, but you might not be able to view the whole book. But in that case, Google Books does tell you if a nearby library has a copy or where you can purchase a copy of the book. It also has a link to WorldCat, and so you can maybe find another library that has a copy and perhaps um, order the book on interlibrary loan. So Google gives you several options for accessing a book, um, even if you can't view the whole book on Google Books. Right. So many options. It's fantastic. No reason not to hit the books at Google Books for family history. Rick, thank you so much. Great ideas. Makes us want to all start digging right in right now. Thank you for uh, joining me here on the show. You're welcome, Lisa. It was a pleasure. Today's 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Family Roots segment, I've invited Chris Witten. He's the founder of Wikitree.com to the show. And in 2002, he started the collaborative Q&A site FAQ Farm, which later became WikiAnswers at Answers.com. In 2008, Chris dedicated himself to creating a collaborative family tree, a wiki tree. And he's here to tell us all about it. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you so much, Lisa. I imagine many of our listeners out there have heard of Wikitree.com. I'm sure many have used it. But for those who maybe haven't yet visited the site or aren't quite sure what the site can do for them, give us a brief overview. Why uh, should we invest some, some time and our ancestors into Wikitree.com? Well, I'd love to. Uh, so Wikitree is a collaborative family tree project. Um, and so it's all about collaboration and we're essentially a community that's growing a worldwide family tree. You know, that's the mission is to grow a completely free uh, international family tree that's shared by everybody. So where there's one profile for every ancestor shared by all the descendants. So as a genealogist, what you get out of it, besides, you know, participating in, in what I hope is a worthwhile project, is a way to leverage the work that you've done, you know, put what you've done with others, pool your research together, uh, collaborate and, and make something greater than, than the pieces. 
it's also a great cousin bait tool. I mean, that's what genealogists back again and again and say is, is that it's terrific cousin bait because they end up connecting with so many first, second, third cousins and, and working with them on a common project that they never would have expected. Um, people, you know, even genealogists that use the internet extensively and have been using it for years say that Wikitree is a much better cousin bait tool for that. Uh, so for genealogists, so it, it's a way to sort of leverage the work that they've done, uh, participate in a fun community, and really uh, reach a lot of cousins that they wouldn't reach otherwise. Uh, an important thing about Wikitree to mention is that it's designed for modern family history as well as for deep ancestry. So some family tree projects are focused you know, on people that have passed away or people from 100 years ago. And what Wikitree does is through privacy controls, through very carefully designed privacy controls, enables you to include living people, which turns it into something that can be exciting for your non-genealogist family members. It can be something that you can share with them. You can get them to collaborate on the modern living family history, uh, as well as connect that to the deeper ancestry that then you collaborate with other genealogists on. Great. Well, now you've brought up two things I want to ask you about. First thing, you mentioned cousin bait. I've used that term myself in terms of uh, why people should do a genealogy blog. You know, why should you talk about your family history on a blog? And that's because it's searchable by Google, which means it's kind of putting the bait out there and people can find you. Are our ancestors that we are putting into Wikitree, are those um, searchable through search engines online? Exactly. Yeah, Wikitree is all open because we're not a pay site. We don't have, you know, even premium memberships. It's a completely free website supported by advertising. So nobody pays for anything and, and it, that allows us to be totally open. So unlike a site where they sort of put up a paywall or a membership wall behind everything, Wikitree is just completely open to the search engines, open to the rest of the internet, you know, links back and forth. Um, A lot of bloggers really, you know, connect to it. And it's extremely well indexed in Google. So... So yeah, when when that cousin puts in an ancestor's name in Google, chances are they'll find the profile that you created on Wikitree. That's such an important distinction for genealogists to think about because it's not only what we are trying to find online, but it's actually what we're also putting out there to be found. So uh, I think that's a real strong point of Wikitree. And you also mentioned that we could put our living relatives into here, into our tree, and that, of course, is going to make it of more interest to cousins that we're trying to, to excite about family history. That always brings up the question of privacy and security. Usually in our online trees, uh, we just put living relative, if you will. What are the privacy controls that Wikitree makes available to us so that we can um, include our living relatives and be able to have information about them without making all of that out there and accessible to the entire universe. Right, right. Yeah, so Wikitree, um, we have a uniquely designed set of privacy controls, really unlike anything else. What they are is they're based on the individual profiles. Every individual profile from you or me to our parents or grandparents have its, has its own privacy setting and its own trusted list. So the privacy setting determines what people outside the trusted list can see. And this could be, you know, anything from completely unlisted, which is meant for people who are, you know, especially sensitive about privacy or children, um, where the name doesn't appear in search engines, you know, does not appear in Google, um, doesn't appear on any of the surname indexes. So anything from unlisted to just private to four different levels of private to public and completely open. 
you, when you add a new profile, if you were to add a profile of a, you know, say a parent or a niece or a nephew, um, you would set the privacy level. Um, we only have a few restrictions. A lot of it is really up to you. We um, require that all living people be private, at least one of the private levels, all children be completely unlisted, and that all people from over 200 years ago be completely open and public. But in between that, you have a fair amount of discretion, as long as you're willing to share that profile with people where privacy isn't a concern. Because these privacy controls are for privacy and, and not for control. We say that because some genealogists have a tendency to then want to use something like privacy controls to protect the, the management of their tree. Um, but because WikiTree is growing one shared tree, it's very important that all the descendants share one profile. So like, let's say you do have that profile of your parent, you know, you would set that at a private level, but then if you know, your siblings wanted to participate on that, you would want to put them on the trusted list rather than have two separate profiles, which then leads to two separate trees and, and no longer a shared family tree project. You're talking about the idea that we have our tree out there, that you're growing kind of an, an overall tree. Just to, to clarify, what's the integration between my tree and somebody else's tree? Are, are they some, are all the trees that are out there on WikiTree somehow connecting up together? Are they searchable on the site? Just give us a little more background on how that works on WikiTree. Well, because all the, the privacy controls are based on the individual profile uh, and not on your tree. So they're not privacy controls, you know, based on you as a member. They're privacy controls and a trusted list for an individual profile. So each individual ancestor has privacy controls. So this enables that same profile to be shared by you know, any relative who's interested in it, any relative who can and, and should be trusted to access that one profile. So effectively what it means is is that privacy sort of becomes like a, or the sharing becomes a circle around a person. You know, families become these overlapping circles, you know, instead of separate boxes, you know, with, with your tree and my tree. It's all one tree, but we all are concerned with certain profiles on that tree. And, you know, the, the privacy circles are very close and tight when you're talking about modern people. You know, living family members might have very small trusted lists. But then as you go further and further back in history, the, the trusted lists and then the privacy circle becomes much wider, you know, so that you and I could share a great, great grandparent very publicly. Um, but if you and I were close relatives, we would be sharing a profile of a living person very privately. Yet all that is on the same shared tree. How cool. Okay, so if, if people are listening, they think, hmm, I think I'd like to be able to put my ancestors on WikiTree, get it out there, make it searchable. Uh, do you have some quick tips for us to get started? Well, registration is totally open. Uh, I'm sort of glad you asked because there was a period where registration was not open. WikiTree is completely free. We have always been completely free for everybody, but we don't encourage unserious members. Like we, We're very careful to grow deliberately uh, at a rate where quantity doesn't, you know, far outpace quality, yeah. where the, the tree just really doesn't grow so fast that serious community members can't get a hold of it and, and you know, can't um, improve the content that gets added. So we did really put on the brakes for a while. 
where you had to be invited by a current member to be a member. And just a few months ago, we opened that up again where anybody can register as a guest member. Uh, and if you register as a guest member and you say that you want to be a wiki genealogist where you're contributing to the tree, somebody will greet you most likely within a few days and get to know you and become a member of the community. And so we do still, you know, I mean, I don't want to say throw up hurdles in the way of, of unserious people, but but that is kind of what it is. We, we try to filter a little bit. So it's it's totally free and we want all serious genealogists to participate on Wikitree. So I really want to encourage listeners to to come check out Wikitree, register as a guest member and and get started. But just so I just wanted to throw out that warning that they wouldn't be able to get started immediately. Not not quite the second that they join, they wouldn't be able to start adding other people. Well, it's a nice idea, though, that um, there's a concern for quality there, for people not just kind of spamming trees, but but really putting thoughtful information out there. And um, certainly, I think everybody listening to this show is in that category of um, truly interested in family history and working on their genealogy. I think it'd be well worth a visit to wikitree.com. Chris, thank you so much for introducing us to the site and explaining a little bit more about how we can control our privacy and, and the the privacy of our living relatives, but also really take advantage of the the shareability, if you will, the searchability of these trees to hopefully enhance our research. Thanks so much for joining me here on the show. Thank you so much, Lisa. I appreciate the opportunity. With 5 billion historical records, Ancestry.com can unlock valuable information, of course, about your family, if you know how to make the most of its search and other tools, that is. Well, in today's Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Tyler Moss, online editor for Family Tree Magazine, is here to give us some tips from the recorded webinar they have at Shop Family Tree called Your Unofficial Guide to Ancestry.com. Welcome back to the show, Tyler. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. You know, at some point, I I think that every genealogist, of course, has visited Ancestry.com. And I know that many of the folks listening here even consider themselves to be pretty proficient at using it. Is there really more to finding information on the site besides just entering keywords in the search fields? You know, Ancestry.com is so vast. As you said, you know, so many records on there, so many databases. Um, there's always something new to be learned. And I think one thing um, additionally that people don't necessarily realize is that there are tricks and tips you can use to make your the current searches you're doing faster and more efficient and get better, you know, get better results quicker from using more targeted keywords or, you know, wildcards to help you find um, different spellings of, of a surname or something, you know? And so I think there's tricks that people just don't realize are available that could really make your research more effective. Well, I know that that's, um, those are items that you touch on in the webinar. Explain to everybody listening what a wild card is and what, how is that used in a search? Let's say you have um, a last name you're looking for, a surname such as Leibowitz. It could be transcribed in a, in a bunch of different ways. It could be Leibowitz with a, a W and a T. It could be Leibowitz with a V and a T. It could be Leibowitz, Leibowitz with a W and a C before the Z. You know, there's so many different ways to spell it. I mean, instead of having to do all those individual searches, what you can do is you can type in the L-E-I-B-O up to the letter that, you know, could switch with the different spellings. And instead of putting in a letter, you put in a question mark. And the question mark is the wild card. 
Exactly. And so when the algorithm for Ancestry.com goes to look for those, it'll consider all those different spellings we discussed. And so that way it saves you from having to do all those different multiple searches and you can kind of cover all your bases in one swab. I think that's a great example why this ongoing education is so critical. Because here we could be spending an hour doing all this, the name variations, hoping that we get lucky and, and do a variation that was actually used. Or we can um, keep up to speed on this kind of stuff, use a wild card, and all of a sudden a search that might be an hour takes the, the one-time search of a minute or two. And we can get the kind of results we're really looking for. I, I just think that's key and it's something that can really help people from become, from a, being a discouraged searcher to somebody who really feels like they've got the tools to, to be successful. Exactly. I think there's a lot of uh, tricks people don't realize that can, you know, condense your time, you know, three hours of research into an hour and a half of research and that sort of thing, you know, just make a more efficient use of your time. Right. So what other kinds of topics will folks learn in this class? Um, obviously, there's uh, uh, search is one of the keys. We also talk about um, tricks for finding missing ancestors and also just really kind of understanding how Ancestry.com works, what all the different settings mean, so you actually understand when you check or uncheck a, you know, a default settings box or you go to do an advanced search, you understand exactly what each of those tools does and you can use it as effectively as possible. And I noticed in the um, class description it says things that Ancestry.com doesn't want you to know. <laughs> Are there things they don't want us to know that we get to learn in class? <laughs> well, I think think that they appreciate it is, you know, the more time you spend on their site, the more time you spend looking at probably the different ads and sort of stuff you have on sure. there. So our goal is, like I said, to make, make your time worthwhile while you're on there and to really get the most out of it. You know, that's a really good point. There is an incentive, obviously, for any website to want you to spend time there. And yet for us, the incentive is to spend as little time getting to as many results as possible. So that's what we're really talking about is taking it from the researcher's perspective Exactly. Well, wonderful. Well, this class, again, is called Your Unofficial Guide to Ancestry.com. And what we've been talking about is a pre-recorded video webinar. And it's available at Shop Family Tree. I'll have a link in the show notes for you. So this is something that when you, you purchase it, you download it, and it's there and available to not only learn from the first time, but to refer back to over and over. And as I understand it, there is a new webinar in the works. Tell us about that. This video we're talking about now, your unofficial guide to Ancestry.com, as we mentioned, is a pre-recorded video, and it, it kind of covers a whole lot of different topics, as we've discussed. But this new webinar we have coming up, which is called Ancestry.com Search Secrets, and that is taking place on January 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, is uh, by presenter Laura Prescott, and she's really going to dive into the nitty-gritty of search. Um, you know, there's, like we mentioned, so many databases and stuff. She's going to talk about things specific to each database and really go through the advanced search form, you know, step-by-step, step, and go over search with a fine-tooth comb. Not only that, this live webinar will also have a, a Q&A at the end. And so for people who, you know, have specific questions, about their ancestors or they can't find something or along those lines she's going to be there to answer any quandaries people have and uh, hopefully help you find your lost ancestor that's the big advantage to participating in a live webinar is you get that instructor right there live and you can have that Q&A, which I think is, is wonderful. You always, it's fun to, to, to watch people ask their questions and really get answers to some of their brick walls. And as you mentioned, not every database is created equal. They each have their own little nuances. And so it's 
uh, pretty cool that they're, you're putting together a webinar that really gets into some of those more finer details. Yeah, they each have their quirks, and so we really want to talk about how you can make the most of it. Wonderful. Well, sounds great. Nothing like the ongoing education to make sure that we're making the best use of our time. Thanks so much for the tips on the wild cards, and uh, I think we'll probably be talking to you next month. That sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. As we wrap up this January 2013 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You know, of course, our uh, episode theme is online genealogy. A lot of people are going to be heading online, uh, looking to accomplish some of those early New Year resolutions, maybe finding an ancestor, you know, things we've put aside over the holidays. Um, and I'm pretty sure that you've got some additional tools for us to help us out as we surf the web. Tell us about those. Most definitely. Well, I don't know what it is about January exactly that brings people out to search genealogy websites in droves, but um, everybody's doing it, it feels like. And um, we certainly see that reflected um, in people's activity um, among our listenership and readership. So um, that's kind of what drives us to feature Google uh, this month in our Shop Family Tree store. We are offering the ultimate Google for genealogist collection. And one of the components of that is a brand new course um, called Google for Genealogy that um, we previously had some classes on this topic, but a lot has changed at Google in the past couple of years. And so this is fully revised and updated and includes information about all of those changes so that um, you can kind of keep up with what's happened and how you need to adjust your search strategies accordingly. And that's a self-study course, right? Correct. So they're downloading this as part of that um, ultimate Google for genealogists collection. Exactly. Basically, you get all the course materials and you can download them and work independently on your own. So you can you know, set your own schedule and work through the materials um, at your very own pace. I think that's the perfect item and tool for our toolkit early in the year, because if you know how to search well with Google, you're going to have so much more overall success. So launching right out of the gate with those Google strategies is, is really brilliant. Yes, and uh, another really great tool in this um, collection, of course, is your book, The Genealogist Google Toolbox, Um, and you've got lots of great tips in there that people will find very helpful. It's a handy reference that you can keep at your computer with you while you're searching, and we're really excited to have that as part of the collection. Me too. Well, and that's the print edition of the book. So you can have it right there on your desk. I hope everybody will really check out those final chapters on Google Earth. That's one of my favorite Google tools. And there's tons and tons of step by step in there. Perfect. That'll give people lots of um, ideas of things that they can do once they've discovered that information with Google how they can apply it. I love my favorite part of your Google Earth lessons has to do with setting up the tour and the map of where you can kind of put all of that family history information together into something that's meaningful, not just to you to look at, but that you can share with your family and they don't get that glazed over look in their eye. Exactly. A lot of people don't realize you can add your photos, your your documents, your videos, all that kind of stuff to the map and really put it together in a geographic context. And like you say, you show it to folks and they're like, oh my gosh, it's like a video game. (laughs) 
yeah, but, but it's also cool. a wonderful analysis tool because mm-hmm. there is something about seeing everything together in context that really makes a difference when you're trying to think about where do I look next. Absolutely. Absolutely. So good tool for breaking down those brick walls. You know, in terms of breaking down brick walls, obviously, something that we all need to do is make sure that we're organized. Who doesn't have a New Year's resolution Oh yeah. that involves getting organized in some <laughs> form or fashion? That is another one of our specials in the Shop Family Tree this month. Um, we're going to have an extra discount on our Organize Your Family History Value Pack. And one of my favorite components of this particular value pack, of course I'm biased, is um, an on-demand webinar called Organization Made Easy. And I presented it, so that's why I'm biased. Oh, there (laughs) we go. Yeah, um, it has all of my favorite tips for how I keep organized and recognizing that, you know, everybody thinks a little bit differently. Everybody's brain functions Mm -hmm. in a slightly different way and that there's not one right or wrong way to organize. There's lots of good systems that certainly work well for lots of people, but it's all about finding the system that works right for you. And if somebody else has come up with a system that is really magical for them, If you can't follow it and you can't stick to it, it's really no good for you. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about ideas and how you can adapt the systems that other people have already come up with to your needs. Yeah, no, that's a great approach because it really is about adaptation. You you have to do what works for you. And boy, two great kits. I mean, and these are like jam-packed full of, of goodies at a really good discount price. Um, if you're looking to really jumpstart, your, your online search, your use of Google tools. Of course, you've got the ultimate Google for genealogist collection. And as Allison says, everybody needs to get organized. So the Organize Your Family History Value Pack is going to be a big boost in that regards. Good tools to start us off in a, in a new year. Um, thank you so much. And we'll look forward to talking to you next month. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for this January 2013 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of actions for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and check out Rick Croom's article from the January 2013 issue of Family Tree Magazine. It's called Hitting the Books, where you'll get all the details on his step-by-step process for finding your family history in Google Books. You can order the paper or electronic issue at shopfamilytree.com. Next, head on over to familytreemagazine.com to find the podcast show notes for this episode, which will also include information and website links for everything that we talked about here today, including the wikitree.com website, the recorded webinar, your unofficial guide to ancestry.com, and of course, everything else we talked about on today's episode. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available free through iTunes. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.